0: Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sulcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we're being frank. After we thought the industry had drawn a bit of a blank, there's been lots of news of which our journalists all thank. Acquisitions are big news at the moment and AUB are laughing all the way to the bank. Some experts worry Australia is becoming an uninsurable nation, but the industry refutes it point blank. And I try to stay awake as John and Wendy delve into the nuances of Wayne Tank. Hello everyone. After that introductory prank, you can thank Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Editor John Deeks, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. There's one more word ending in "ank" that our listeners often use to describe me, isn't there?
1: <laughs> Andrew, I would never say such a thing.
0: <laughs> well, hello, Wendy. After Terry drew a blank... I'll just ask you how much research you needed to do on Wayne Tank.
2: Good morning, Andrew. Oh, well, Africa really does all the research, so I can just look at that.
3: <laughs> Hello, John. Hello. John, I'm assuming you're a good friend of Wayne's. Is Wayne a person or a company? I'm, I'm not too sure. It probably doesn't matter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure you will enlighten me later. So onto to this week's main stories. We published a breaking news yesterday on an AUB acquisition in the UK. Wendy, tell us what was announced.
2: AUB is going to buy UK-based uh, Lloyd's broker Tizers for 880 million dollars, and Tizers is a 200-year-old business, um, and it's uh, you know pretty sizable, and it has uh, wholesale and retail operations. And in the case of this deal, there's sort of a second part to it. So once that uh, main transaction is finalised, then AUB's is uh, going to sell down 50% of the retail side of Tizers to P PS- PSC. So then the two of them. We'll team up in a joint venture on that side. But the wholesale operations are really the main the main focus for AUB. That's
0: a really big number. Why is this such a big deal?
2: Well, it's, um, you know, AUB a- actually flagged that they might look offshore. And this is, you know, following on from that, their first major international uh, acquisition outside the Australian and New Zealand business. And it gives them much greater access to the Lloyd's market and the specialist expertise there. And opens up all sorts of opportunities in terms of what they can offer their clients back here, particularly as, as many risks uh, become more challenging. And as you say, you know, it's really, uh, it's, it's the sizable amount of money and, and you know, quite a change.
0: Well, this um, move to looking overseas, is this the start of a new strategy for AUB, Terry.
1: I'm not sure at this point. This one looks like an opportunist buy, really, to, to get AUB into another part of the market. Tizers is a whole new revenue source for AUB, and, and it can also give AUB's osbrokers members back in this part of the world access to the London market, which is important, as Wendy says. When I say it's opportunistic, I mean that that it looks, and I emphasise looks, like a single purchase rather than a deal that AUB is necessarily going to build on. We'll have to wait and see. And bravo for going to PSC, which is, after all, a steadfast member, to arrange a 50% sale of Tizer's retail business, because... PSC is a big player in the UK market and it's another new revenue source. It's a, a well thought out deal and pretty darn pragmatic, I think
0: of course, that wasn't the only
1: breaking news we
0: published yesterday, was it, John?
1: No,
3: that's right. Sadly, we reported on, on the death of Graham Stevens, a man with a, a long and distinguished career in insurance broking. Graham passed away on Friday after a battle with cancer. And um, we've got a lot of tributes in in our um, newsletter yesterday from the likes of friend Gary Seymour and uh, the CEO of Niba, Phil Kewen paying tribute to bear as he was known. And um, Graham had uh, held a number of roles. He was was the president of NEBA for a couple of years. And he also was president of the World Federation of Insurance Intermediaries, the global body for insurance brokers. And uh, I think he, he's really going to be missed by the industry. There was a time a couple of years ago where I wrote a piece grumbling about how my home and contents premium had shot up without any explanation. And uh, Graham just rang the office and, and offered to sort out all my insurances for me, which I, I think just shows what an advocate he was for the broking industry and and also you know he was just a good a good bloke many people like john speak fondly of graham um terry why do you think
1: he was so revered in the industry i guess that apart from being a a charming and interesting man, Bear was a pretty deep thinker who really did care, as John says, about the broking sector. He was really passionate about mentoring brokers, young and old. And one of the one of the things that that struck me about Graham was was he had this old fashioned belief in the responsibility to give back to to broking through his activities within both Steadfast and Niebuhr. He was an outstanding personality. We'll, we'll all miss him. That's for sure.
0: Well, moving on, John. Um, can you allay my fears? Should I be concerned that I'm living in an uninsurable nation?
3: Well, that depends on on who who you believe. I guess we reported on a study put out by the Climate Council last week, which was which was titled "Uninsurable Nation" and made the claim that in in just eight years, in 2030 one in 25 homes in Australia will be uninsurable. Now, our reporting of this raised a few hackles. We had a few a few people on social media saying, don't be ridiculous. It's not an uninsurable nation at all. Now, the Insurance Council have steered away from this debate. And, and, and in fact, they were asked directly by a national newspaper what they thought of the claims in this report. And, and they just point blank didn't answer, they prefer to focus on what needs to be done. And I think that's, you know, that's good because uh, really we can, we as the analysis piece says, we can argue all day about what uninsurable means, whether just an expensive policy is in effect an uninsurable at risk when, when it gets to the point of being unaffordable and whether, you know, one in 25 homes having these issues actually equates to an uninsurable nation. You know, we can talk about that all day, but it's not going to get anything done. The Insurance Council is really pushing the work that needs doing in terms of land use planning, mitigation measures and investment and uh, building standards. And, and they've, they've released a series of reports, I, I guess, on this kind of thing. And, and they've been quite outspoken, I think,
1: in the run up to the election.
0: Is the ICA on the right track here, Terry?
1: Well, I, I think this approach is certainly resonating out there and they, they are managing to uh, sort of keep the issue boiling, which which is very, very important. This is what ICA should have been doing for the past ten years at least. The new regime in Pitt Street is much more savvy about how to influence things that I guess, that, that ICA has uh, has been pushing for, for 10 years or should have been pushing for 10 years. We, we Look, we have the perfect confluence of a, a massive natural catastrophe event via the floods. We've got climate patterns changing and not for the better. Inflation making materials and trades much more expensive, higher premiums because the net cat risks are, are growing in size and intensity. And we've got A federal election. If you're going to drop a bomb, this is the perfect time to do it. Politicians are listening at present, even if some are still cowering in their denialist bunkers. And many, many more Australians are aware of the risks their properties face and the consequences of unaffordable premiums. I I like the way the Insurance Council is getting a a strong voice in the whole debate by pushing the, the uninsurable line. It's not being alarmist. It's adding weight and urgency to the whole debate. So they're doing a good job. Well,
0: somewhat coincidentally, Wendy, the ICA also released their latest of its reports on climate. What are the key takeaways from that?
2: Well, yes, I've done a couple of reports on this uh, theme, and, and this one particularly focus, focuses on uh, flooding. Um, it says the total cost of claims from floods since ICA records began in 1970 are more than uh, $21 billion. And with urban expansion and climate change, the risks are getting greater, While at the same time, you know, land use planning and building codes aren't really keeping pace uh, and are proving increasingly inadequate. Within land use planning, there's a focus on this, you know, idea of a one in 100 year flood risk. But uh, this report really highlights that we have to look um, beyond that. And uh, you know, and land use planning is also, it might be effective to reduce risks for new developments, but there's also the issue of improving building codes to take into account better better performance in the case of floods.
0: John, according to Terry, the time to act was probably three months ago or four months ago, but the um, East Coast flood catastrophe is now a record breaker, isn't it?
3: That's right. Um, the Insurance Council has done some some more detailed analysis of, of the claims that are coming in. There's about 200,000 Claims now across New South Wales and Queensland, the ICA now puts it at a cost of 3.35 billion dollars, which makes it officially the worst flood catastrophe on record for Australia. And in fact, only four other natural disasters have cost more in normalised values. That's the Eastern Sydney hailstorm in '99. Cyclone Tracy in 1974, Cyclone Diner in 1967, and the Newcastle earthquake in 1989. So, yeah, this event sits fifth in the all time league of worst NatCats ever in Australia, at least, as, at least as far as records go back, anyway. So certainly as significant as we feared it might be.
0: I'm still amazed that a hailstorm can be in that uh, top list. Well, Risk Frontiers has been out on the ground at the flood affected regions, Wendy. What did they find?
2: Well, they visited uh, northern New South Wales um, several weeks after the floods. And they found that without exception, people you know were alarmed about the speed with which water levels rose and, and were surprised at the ultimate height they reached. And some people in raised Queenslander style homes didn't, didn't evacuate because they thought they'd be safe and that wasn't the case this time around. And they noted a few different things uh, where, you know, the risks were really evident. With the case of caravan parks, um, many of those have become semi-permanent dwellings and you can't easily move those as waters are rising. And they also pointed again to the importance of um, building designs and and that um, better integrating materials
0: are more water resistant is, is really important. Well, finally, Wendy, I can't put this off anymore. What is the Wayne Tank Principle? and why should I care?
2: This came up because AFCA released a paper explaining how it looks at the main or dominant cause of losses when it's deciding disputes. Um, And that main cause is what's known as the the proximate cause, which can be quite simple when there is one obvious one that's clearly covered. But the the Wayne Tank principle refers to an English uh, court case uh, that also applies in Australia, which looks at what happens when there are, for instance, two relatively equal proximate causes. So in that scenario, if one is an excluded cause, such as normal wear and tear, the insurer can deny the claim if the other element is covered. Uh, so it's it can be quite controversial and it, and it often comes up in the, the cases that uh, AFCA has to decide on.
0: Well, do you understand it, John?
3: Yeah, I think so. Uh, thanks to Wendy's article. Um, so, so I've often wondered, you know, well, what happens if you have a shed that's a bit rusty and, and a tree falls on it and crushes it? Is the insurer going to say, oh, well, your, your shed was rusty, so that's that's partly why it, it fell down. And I think the point is, if the storm or the damage was such that that the shed would have been crushed anyway, then the insurer is probably going to pay out. But if if the insurer could show that the wear and tear or the, 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 the gradual deterioration contributed to... The damage that was caused, then, then they may well not have to pay out. I think, yeah, as Wendy says, when you've got two, two causes, uh, the insurer can rely on the one that's that's excluded and decline the claim.
2: Apparently, the original case was the Wayne Tank and Pump Co. Limited
3: from 1973. Those difficult issues have
0: been around for a long time. Well, thank you. Wendy and to John to explain it to me and uh, keeping me awake. That brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor insurance insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.